as part of one's preparation for being a clergy person, whether it be a priest or a pastor or a rabbi, each student is to engage in an intensive experiential and educational training program called Clinical Pastoral Education. It's referred to as CPE for short. This 10-week intensive requires students to be in the hospital on a full-time basis. There are specific tasks involved in the program, but the primary objective of CPE for all potential clergy is to help those individuals prepare for the reality that life has many unknowns. And through engaging those unknowns in most vivid physical illness, the potential clergy person comes face to face with his or her own fears, assumptions, hang-ups, and even theology. One aspect of the training is to become familiar with the process of dying and death itself. And one way that we did that in my program was through visiting the morgue. The morgue is a hallowed and sacred place. At the morgue, the reality of our vulnerability is profound. I didn't experience the employees there as casual with their work, as you might see on TV. Familiar, yes. Familiar with the body and the process of being near bodies whose vulnerability might have been taken advantage of. But there was no casualness. In fact, the man who gave us our tour was very clear about the appropriate behavior at the morgue. He spoke of his and the other employees' respect for the body. There was a reverence given to each one. He also informed us that the morgue receives anybody for which the cause of death is unknown. And this includes most homeless people. Because a homeless person might be found in a doorway with no one around him knowing anything about him, then he would be brought to the morgue to determine the cause of death. I'm certain that there is some practical reason for doing this, but what I was struck by is the value afforded this life that had finished. In essence, the process of doing an autopsy on someone for whom, perhaps, no one is waiting for the results, says to the, to the deceased, you mattered. This completely fits with the theology of Christians. We read in John's Gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God values humanity so much that God humbled himself to become like us. Through Jesus, we see the value of our own humanity. Jesus demonstrates through his life and teaching that people matter. All people matter because all people are God's. 
To heed this teaching is to find our salvation through him. Through a relationship with Christ, we find the strength we need to live into this promise of abundant life in this world and in the world to come. Our gospel lesson today might be difficult to hear because we recognize the rich man. We all have lives similar to his. We know what nice fabric looks like. We know what fine linen feels like. And we feast sumptuously every day. I would guess that it is a fair assumption, based on our place in this world, to say that on average each household here lives on $100 a day. We know that there are places in this world where households live on less than $4 a day. There's nothing inherently wrong about having money. Both our gospel story and in Paul's letter to Timothy, the pitfall of wealth is that it can make us blind to what is truly valuable in this world. In our gospel, it is the rich man who is blind to Lazarus, the poor man at his gate. And in Paul's letter to Timothy, people's vision for financial security sends them chasing after riches that are anything but secure. Wealth and possessions only have value because we give them value. People have value because God gives them value. None of us will ever have wealth that truly reflects our value. Each of us has more than we deserve, and each of us has less than we deserve. So to consider what we have as a measure of our value, or to consider whether or not we give to the poor as a measure of their value, is to have our priorities confused. What ways can we practice seeing those in need? Because you see, we have the privilege of not having to notice. Most residents in Ridgefield are cognizant of this reality. And most people I know look to make a difference in the lives of others. Our gospel lesson and epistle are asking us to take notice of the poor so that we can make a difference in the lives of others. With the distance between the rich and poor continuing to grow in this country, the chasm between us is ever widening. We, as Christian people, can address this as individuals and corporately. And today, I'm inviting you to think about how you might do this individually in the context of your personal life and in the life of our faith community. Such practices will keep us in check about our ties to wealth. Such practices will keep us from setting our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. This sermon feels like a more instructional sermon than I'm accustomed to preaching. But today's texts are instructional. And they instruct us in the ways of the Father. As we see throughout the First Testament, God cares for the poor and the needy. Hear these words of Leviticus. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, 
or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. There are several places in the Psalms that talk about God's care for the poor. One example is in Psalm 41. Happy are those who consider the poor. The Lord delivers them in their day of trouble. And Psalm 140 says, I know that the Lord maintains the cause of the needy and executes justice for the poor. The prophets Isaiah and Zechariah remind us of God's priorities. In Isaiah 58, we hear, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. And in Zechariah, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. We are instructed in the ways of the Father as demonstrated in the ways of the Son. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, Mary sings a song of God's mercy and justice for the poor in what we know as the Magnificat. This is at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, and part of those words are these. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Throughout scripture, we are instructed in the ways of the Father as demonstrated in the ways of the Son. And we are empowered to follow Christ through the ways of the Holy Spirit. Because, my fellow Christians, as much as we might find ourselves relating to the rich man in the gospel story, we are really the five brothers. I know very clearly that it is not my job as your rector to change you or to make you a better person, whatever that might mean. I actually don't have the capacity to do that. Only God can change us. Only God can transform us. And my job is to remind you of God's teachings so that you become increasingly familiar with the ways of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through your relationship with the Godhead, you might allow yourself to be shaped by God, transformed into his likeness. God is a God of compassion. In teaching us his ways, helping us consider the needs of the poor, strengthening us to cross the chasm between the rich and the poor while we still have the ability to do so, we are provided with the means to address some of the heartaches of this world. By crossing the chasm between the rich and the poor, 
while we still have the ability to do so, we are provided with the means to peace that we pray for weekly. God invites us to follow in God's ways because, as Proverbs reminds us, the rich and the poor have this in common. God, the Lord, is the maker of them all. Amen.